Morning, everyone. Good to be together. I, uh, I, I spent some time with the eldership team, your eldership team, and the wives and the kids, the Seabank team went and hung out for a couple of hours. It was great. I told them Mark and I are going to make some massive calls on their behalf. I was really hoping that we would take up an offering. That would have been funny. Um, I said, if we lose to the New Zealand, I'm going to tell them not to come to church next week. We're mourning. <laughs> but now it's a public holiday, so it's like all good. No, I'm just kidding. If I, I mean, if I haven't met you yet, I'm Don, uh, married. Here's a picture of my family, married to Heidi. Got two gorgeous little girls. And uh, yeah, mostly going well. I see I'm wearing the same shirt, which is <laughs> always the thing with pastors. Eh? I need to get some more clothes. But uh, in Constantinburg, I've been trying to get this thing off the ground for ages. It's mostly just me and one other person. Well, first Sundays are Hawaiian Sundays. So first Sunday of the month, and boom, it's happening. So it's part of the fun. But uh, yeah, good to be here. I mean, I hope the last two weeks of the James series has been act, uh, impactful in, in your relationships. I mean, I know it certainly has been challenging for me. We're looking at the wisdom that James gives for handling conflict. We know that conflict goes hand in hand with relationships. And it goes hand in hand with family. It goes hand in hand with church family. And we've been looking at the wisdom we can gain from James, from God, on how to handle this conflict well. So I get to wrap up today uh, this handling with conflict theme uh, in week three. If you missed week one or week two, I encourage you to go to Facebook, uh, go to the podcast, check them out. Uh, It really is a brilliant kind of three-week journey for handling conflict. conflict. I've been encouraged to hear how people have been responding, moving toward uh, each other to handle conflict of, of the past. And hey, this is equipping for you because if you're not in conflict at the moment, or you haven't been in conflict, um, I don't know where you've been, but it's going to come. It's going to come. And it's encouraging because that's the whole point of these messages. It's the whole point of coming to church and hearing God's word preached so that we're actually transformed. That actually we're taking what we're hearing, we're letting it mobilize from our hearts into our heads, into our actions, into our lives, and toward each other. There's a scratchiness, all kind of things. We know James says, don't be hearers of the word, only be doers also. Something like that. I might have mixed up the order of that, but you get the gist. I mean, I've heard some stories in Seaburg of people texting during the message. So straight coffee, straight after, they say, oh, you know, I haven't, haven't spoken to that person for 20 years. You know, they were the godparents for my kids, and, you know, we've just lost touch, and one or two things happened, and they've been messaging and texting and reaching out, uh, which is so exciting. I mean, you know, whether it's family or friends or colleagues, uh, whatever it is, uh, as we grow in our maturity with God, we're reaching out and dealing with these kind of things that, that sometimes they... They silly-ish things that tend to really damage relationships that are just so valuable and, and make our lives so rich. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to switch off my phone during my preaching. Guys were messaging me to hang out and deal with stuff I had done wrong. Mike, your phone must have been off the hook, eh? I mean, just don't to make sure it's on silence. Obviously, I'm, I'm kidding. Liz says Mike's incredible. He never, ever, ever does. It's amazing. But on a more serious note, because that's definitely not true. Um, 
church community, being a church family, it, it will be so much sweeter, so much richer if we take God's word to heart and we keep short accounts with each other and we move toward each other sooner rather than later when it comes to conflict, disagreements, differences of opinion, which we can have, but we've got to deal with in a mature way, in a way that doesn't damage and hurt. And we've heard that quarrels and fights, it's like warfare. You know, people are getting hurt. People are getting damaged. There's, there's winners, there's losers. So week one, we saw that, hey, a lot of the quarreling and fighting that we experience in our lives, it's not because of someone or something. or uh, Actually, it's, it's here. A lot of the conflict we experience is because of what's happening right here in our own hearts. And so that's where we start. We start with ourselves. And then last week, you would have heard that handling conflict well means, means humbly submitting our lives to God. Amazing. I, I mean, imagine dealing with conflict. And the first thing you say is humble yourselves before God. It's actually, you want to deal with a lot of conflict? Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. Deal with any sin in the midst of your strife. And we're going to see God do something amazing. And that's been a big thread through this conflict series is this idea of humility. Humility. It reminds me of the theme of our advanced global conference that we had earlier in the year, this idea of humbly onward, humbling ourselves before God as we move forward and continue to see his kingdom advance. I mean, who remembers the, at the end, the last verse in week one said this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know, James doesn't really leave doing nothing as an option. You know, when we respond to God's word, doing nothing's not the option. He actually says you've got two options. The one is stay proud. In a sense, double down on where you're at. Double down on your attitude, what's happening in your heart. Double down on your stance and your conflicts. That's an option. <laughs> but when you do that, you're going to experience some kind of resistance in your relationship with God, there's going to be like an, an opposition. There's going to be a strainedness in your walk with God. The better alternative, says James, is humble yourself. Because when you humble yourself, you're going to experience the favor of God in your, in your own life. The other person or people are going to experience the favor of God. A community is going to experience more of the favor of God. So as you listen to God's word, uh, think to yourself, hey, I've got two options. You can take God's word to heart. Well, I can double down on where I'm at. And that's not going to be a good experience. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to read our text. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for, for how you coach us and encourage us and, in a sense, plead with us to submit our lives to you because you know it's good for us. You know it's good for us. It's good for our families. It's good for our community. And when our communities are flourishing, we're flourishing. And your kingdom is advancing in power. Amen. Here we go. James 4. If you've got your Bible, turn to it. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? May God bless his word to us. So if I was just to say, what's the big slice of wisdom that James wants us to walk away with today? It's this. 
Don't tear people down with your skewed sense of self. Don't tear people down with your skewed sense of self. Feels a little bit aggressive and edgy, but that's James. He doesn't, he doesn't mind doing that. What we're going to do this morning, we're going to look, what is the slander? What is the problem of slander? Then actually James says, actually, in, in the midst of all this, I want you to consider four things that are going to help you address this problem. And then I want to land with three practical steps. So here we go, the problem of slander. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. What's he talking about here? What does it mean, slander? Well, the first thing I thought of when I read this was Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I mean, who followed anything about that? That No one, eh? You guys are. I, I had COVID at the time. I had bronchitis. I had a lot of time on my hands. So I was, I was into Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It was, it was fascinating. But let's leave that for now before you judge me anymore. I mean, usually when we think of something like slander, we think about it in lawful terms. We think about it's, it's the crime of making a spoken or a written statement about some, someone that's not true, that damages their reputation. And so they're able to claim damages for that. Now, the word James used here is a little broader than that. Actually, the word James used here, slander, it means do not denigrate, do not speak down on, do not defame or shame someone, even if what you're saying about them is true. So saying, don't, don't, lie or make false accusations, but even if what you're saying is true, do not speak evil of someone else. Do not denigrate or defame someone else, especially in the church, especially other Christ followers. The content of what you're sharing might be accurate. What you're saying might be true, but the intent and the impact of that is harsh and unkind. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things like verbal attacks, gossiping, or sharing behind someone's back. It's criticizing, speaking evil against, maligning, or backbiting someone. It's this kind of behavior where you tear people down, where you defame them, especially amongst Christ followers. James is saying, it's not on. It's not on for the church to slander each other in this way. And if you think about it, the, the idea of slander, this term that James uses, slandered, it also includes a sense of, you know, what you're doing is you're speaking down on someone. It's like you, you've taken a place of superiority and actually this person hasn't hit your gold standard. You know, they've fallen short and, and somehow you've, you've taken this position of superiority and you're making sure that people know that actually this person hasn't quite lived up to the standard. It, it's really a, it's a problem of superiority in our hearts. We, we take on this superior edge when we slander people. So one of my commentaries, uh, the message of James, it said this, defamation is forbidden not as a breach of truth, nor even as a breach of love, but a breach of humility. It's a failure of humility in our lives in how we see and treat other people. And here's something else that's actually good for us to note when we read this, because it's true for us. James isn't saying to, to the Christians, he's not saying, hey guys, watch out that this thing you know, happens or look out for it. It's on the horizon. No, no, James is saying this is happening in the church right now. And he's saying, stop it. 
I think, I think that's fair. <laughs> it, it's happening. Man, we've got to stop it, says James. It, it's been challenging. The more I've studied this and read about this and understood slander, wow, you realize, actually, this is, this is maybe more common than I like to admit, or like to think, or that I've ever been aware. And I think it's so normal in our culture. If I just think about like politics and power, the whole thing about politics, the, the narrative we see playing out is it's all about exposing and exploiting people's weaknesses. I mean, that's how you gain power. That's how you gain influence is exposing your enemies or your opponents. It's about exposing and tearing down. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to cover up and lift up those around us, especially other Christ followers. I think we, we love to talk about other people's weaknesses. I don't know if that it makes us feel better about ourselves, Maybe. Maybe we gain favor or friendship with certain people if we, you know, agree on someone else's, you know, inferiority to us. Yeah, it's at someone's expense, but, you know, that's fine. I'm willing to pay that price. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's at the expense of the health of a greater network of community or people, but hey, it's, it's okay. I'm okay with that. Now, the other thing that makes this difficult is that it happens so quickly. You know, it's a word or two here. It's a sentence or two that we speak to someone. We don't even realize sometimes what's happening. Now, of course, as Christ followers, we, you know, we are a little bit clever about it. You know, we wrap it up in a prayer request and then tie a bow around it saying, don't tell anyone, which never really works, does it? Did you hear about what so-and-so did? Did you hear what happened when they were under pressure? Yeah, it's so harmful sometimes when we take someone's weakest moments or their, their worst moments or a terrible decision they made, and, and that's kind of the label that we give them. And that's how we remember them, and that's how we communicate about them. Oh, it's so harmful. It's not what we want people to do for ourselves. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that people don't harm us and do wrong things. But, but when that happens, we don't move to other people. We move to the person. You, know, you look at Matthew 18, and there's a, there's a blueprint for how we address people in a godly way. But slander, it's destructive, it's damaging, it's harmful to relationships and to communities. There's always casualties when it comes to slander. So, so in light of all of this, James wants to say, I want you to consider four things when it comes to this idea of slander, defaming someone, of speaking evil of someone. I'm going to spend most of my time on the first one. So here it goes. He says, consider what you think of others. When you're thinking about slandering someone, just consider what you think of others. 11, it says, brothers and sisters, not slander one another. The key there, brothers and sisters. Then the end of verse 12, it says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So James is saying here, actually within the church, we're brothers and sisters and we're neighbors. That's how we ought to be thinking about each other as Christ followers. So let's talk about being brothers and sisters. The way and the content, the way we speak to each other as Christ followers and the, the content of what we say to each other it ought to be peppered with familial love and concern, like we would speak to our true, our blood siblings. 
mean, another way to look at it is like this. The reason that we're brothers and sisters in Christ is because of our faith in God. That God chose, not because of any intrinsic uh, value or goodness or morality in us, God chose to adopt us into his family through faith. It's totally inappropriate to take a place of superiority against a fellow brother and sister when we're all equally in need of God's mercy and grace. We've got this little maxim in common ground. The, the ground is level at the foot of this. That before Christ, before God, we are all equal. No matter where we come from, no matter our story, no matter anything, we are equal before God. So the idea of taking a superior stance or, or slandering another Christ follower, it's, it's unthinkable, it's inappropriate, says James. The playing field is level and there's no exceptions. And he underlines it in verse 12. He says, he says, he reminds the believers that only God has the power and authority to settle the final matter of life and death in people's lives. And so we're equally the recipients of his mercy and grace. He wants to drive that point home. Consider what you think of others. That actually before Christ, there's no inferior, inferiority, there's no superiority. We are equal in our need for God, equally adopted as brothers and sisters into his family. You know, this idea of our relationship as brothers and sisters equally in need of God, that's actually the baseline for our relationships. That's the baseline of how we should think about other people, of how we should relate to other people. You want to know about first impressions last? Our first impressions of brothers and sisters and, and is that we are equally in need of God's mercy, brothers and sisters. It changes how we relate to people, changes how we speak and what we speak about. But he also says we're neighbors. Now, I know nowadays we don't always have great friendships with our neighbors. I mean, those of you that are probably a little bit more experienced in life, you might know your neighbors' names and their families, and, but maybe for, as you get a bit younger, it's less common that we know our neighbors. But really, a neighborly relationship is a relationship of mutual care and concern. Now, if your neighbors are doing well and they're secured and, you know, they're experiencing your love, it's good for you. There's this mutual beneficiality in, a, in being neighborly with each other, this mutual care and concern. Now, if you think about, look at Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan can read it later if you want to. Let's take this, the story of the Good Samaritan as a, as a biblical example of being a good neighbor. What you have here is this guy that gets robbed and he, he gets passed by by the religious guys. He gets passed by by everyone else. And then actually one of the enemies of the Jews, a Samaritan, he's traditionally the most likely to walk past. He's the one who stops. He's the one who goes down and he, and he helps. And he actually makes sure that the person is not only helped in the moment, but seen through to health. And the point of the story is that we're all neighbors. We're all neighbors. And there's clearly no room for superiority, but rather this call to loneliness. I mean, think about the actions of this Samaritan. It's about getting down to where this guy's been beaten up and left. It's, it's, it's getting down to where the need really is. It's understanding the need that's there. And then setting aside self-interest, it's about meeting that need. 
That's neighborliness, this call to lowliness, this call to getting down to the needs of our neighbors and then forgetting about our self-interest, lifting them up. It's powerful stuff. I mean, think about how we react when we see weakness or vulnerability in, in other people. Even at our expense, we the recipients of, of maybe a weakness. They do something, they say something, they act in a way that, that offends us. Our role as Christ followers is, is, to, is to lift them up, is to meet the need that's there. I mean, imagine what it would be like if we got this right as a church, as Christ followers. If we cut out slander or this tendency to, to, to tear people down or speak down to people in the midst of conflicts. Imagine how it would impact our friendships and even our marriages. If we just refuse to speak evil of our spouse, speak evil of our friends, that it, instead we, we sought to lift them up. It would be incredible. What about our, our parent-child relationships? You know, we've got to be careful sometimes about how we speak about our kids. I don't see many kids here, but be careful of how you speak about your parents. Imagine the hurt that would be done away with, but imagine the trust that would be built. The trust that would be built if we knew that people weren't out to expose our weaknesses, but actually they were there to rather build us up and lift us up and bring us into a greater maturity in our fellowship with Jesus. It really is tragic when in the middle of conflict or in the start of conflict, we tear each other down with our words through slander. Imagine instead we took the words of Paul to heart, where he says in Ephesians 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think this would transform our relationships in and out the church. Okay, so that's the first thing. Consider what you think of others. The second thing James calls us to is he says, consider what you think about the law. Now, what is he talking about here? What law is he referring to? Well, we just got to go back maybe one or two pages to James 2 verse 8. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. This this is the second and greatest commandment uh, that Jesus taught us in the Gospels. The truth is when we slander people, when we speak evil of people, when we defame them, whether we falsely accuse them, here's a big one. What about when we ascribe incorrect motives to someone? They do something and we assume their motives. We assume what they're trying to do. It's probably not true, probably not accurate. They probably have no idea what's going on, but we speak about it as if we understand what's happening in their hearts. So what happens when we defame, when we slander? We're doing three things. The one thing is we're breaking the second greatest commandment that God gave us. Love your neighbor as yourself. We become lawbreakers. Secondly, we're setting ourselves up as someone who judges the law. Speaks about slandering or judging the law. In other words, we say we know better. Actually, there's some values that I carry in myself, like my own well-being or whatever it may be, that actually trumps the second greatest commandment. Actually, this is more important than this great commandment that Jesus gave us. So we break the law. We set ourselves up as someone who judges the law. But we also take on the role of a lawmaker instead of a law keeper. We're called to be law keepers. 
And that flows into this third consideration. James says, thirdly, consider what you think of God in these moments. Verse 11, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. When we disregard this or stand in judgment over this royal law of love, what does it say about our feelings towards the lawgiver? What does it say about our relationship with God when we disregard his law and his commands to us? Well, for one thing, we dispute his authority as creator. We dispute his authority as the one who's able to, you know, tell us how to live our lives. But think about it a little bit deeper. I mean, that's bad enough, but think about it a little bit more deeply. The law God gives us, the laws that God gives us, the precepts that he gives us are actually a reflection of his nature. They're an extension of who he is. So, so God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's relational. He's always been relational, and we created in his image. He understands, God, the power of relationships. He understands our need as people for close-knit, healthy relationships. So when he speaks to us about not slandering, when he speaks to us about nurturing and protecting our relationships and not harming them, he's calling us to conform ourselves to who he is. He's saying, be more like me, which is what we're all about as Christ. It's maturing in Christ. It's becoming more Christ-like daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And actually, when we say to God, actually, God, I I don't need to follow this law. What we're saying is that I don't actually want to be more like you in this area of my life. That's not who we are as Christ followers. The final consideration. Consider what you think of yourself. So consider what you think of others. Consider what you think of the law. Consider what you think of God. Now he says, consider what you think of yourself. The end of verse 12. But you, who are you? to judge your neighbor. It's classic James. I mean, he's, he's made the point pretty clear. Who are we? James has been teaching us. He's saying, well, we're those who walk in lowliness and humility before God and each other. I mean, it's been a huge theme over the last three weeks that I've mentioned, this idea of humility. It's the way to blessing. It's the way to handling conflict well. It's the, way, it's the way we relate to people and to God in the most flourishing way that draws God's favor into our lives. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You've probably heard this over the last three weeks. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So it's not denigrating yourself, but it's in your views Elevating others, elevating your view of others, elevating your view and the worth of God in your life brings about this humility that we need to handle conflict well. What James is doing here is he's again nailing, uh, he's knocking that nail into the coffin of superiority. We need to kill any idea of superiority that we carry in our hearts. He's saying, get it. Get rid of the skewed sense of yourself. Get rid of it. It's the superiority that's at the heart of this harsh and critical, unkind and defaming 
language, words that we can use against each other. It's absurd. James has been teaching us. It's crazy for us to take on a position like that. In light of God, to, slan, to slander, to tear down, to judge another believer. Who are we to do that in light of what God has done? Well, again, I, I, think it's, I think this is hard for us because I don't think in our hearts we're meaning to really tear people down or you know, speak evil of them or criticize them or make them inferior or take on an air of superiority. I don't think that's in our hearts, but it's happening. It's what's actually happening. I don't think we're aware of, of you know, what we're actually doing and what the impact of what we're doing can be in our relationships. But James wants to make us aware. I mean, have you ever sat in a conversation with someone and they sidle up and they're just sharing? And, they think, and, and you think to yourself after they've spoken about someone, you're like, oh, that could have been me. Like, I probably would have done the same as them, but you agree with them anyway. Because you're not saying to them, oh, actually, you know, I would have done that also. Or maybe... Maybe you've done the same thing. Not only could have been you, it actually has been you in a different circumstance. Or I wonder what this guy says about me when I'm not around. Ever thought about that? If that's how our relationships are, what are people saying about us when we're not around? See, what happens is these, these layers of superiority and inferiority and comparison, making judgment calls, it actually breeds an insecurity. It breeds mistrust. It breeds broken relationships in communities, whether we intend it to or not. It happens. And James has gone to these great lengths over the last three weeks we've been unpacking to call us to greater humility and greater self-evaluation and self-leadership in the midst of conflicts and difficulties and disagreements and differences of opinion. I know it's hard. We don't always see things from another person's perspective. We don't often put ourselves in their shoes. We're not often self-aware that we don't understand what's driving them. We don't know what the motive is. We don't know what's actually happening in their lives. You know, we don't imagine in the moment that we're adding fuel to a fire. When we slander, we just make the conflict even worse. You know, when we're in a corner, when we're under fire, we do the only thing that we're really taught to do, and that's to go on the offensive. But James wants to undo that. Without realizing it, we're thinking far more of ourselves and far too highly of ourselves than probably we should be. So let me recap and then just close with these three uh, steps that we could take. The big slice of wisdom James wants for us here is to is to, to remind us, don't tear people down with your skewed sense of self. Saying, just stop it. Christ follows. So we've looked at the problem. What is slander? We, we've thought, actually, in, the, in these moments, we've got to consider, what do we think of? What do we think of others? What do we think of the law? What do we think of God? What do we think of ourselves? Because when we, when we get those things right... The idea of slandering or speaking evil against someone or defaming someone becomes really, really difficult. It becomes so obviously not the right thing to do. So here's three next steps for us. One is to cultivate a high view of others and God in your life. I think it's something that as Christ followers we need to continually do in our lives is to, is to cultivate. It's like to grow, to, to over time nurture and strengthen a high view of others and God. You know, there's lots of ways that you can do that. 
could put aside uh, some time regularly to just rethink your general attitude towards other people. You know, what do you think of other people? You know, what are your first thoughts about other people? If they're created in God's image, they're loved by God, they're recipients of His grace and His mercy, you know, they, they're weak, they've also got sin, they've also got struggles, they've also got human experiences, but they're deeply loved and cherished by God, that Christ died for them to lift them up. I mean, what do you think of other people? Reflect on that. I think through praying for our circumstances, praying through our relationships, praying through our conflicts, praying for people and praying for ourselves, God does an amazing work in our, in our hearts of actually helping us to place ourselves in a much better, humble position. And of course, we reflect on the scriptures, we reflect on the gospel. Tremendous grace and mercy isn't there. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as in fact you are doing. Imagine if we, if we just carry that in our hearts all the time. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Slander becomes way weird and difficult in that kind of atmosphere. It would, we would be transformed in our relationships. I'm not saying we're overlooking the faults. I'm not saying that we don't get hurt. I'm not saying that people don't wrong us. But we're cultivating in our hearts this, this neighborly attitude of seeking to be a blessing, to build people up. I think we'll all start to feel safe. We'll all start to feel loved. We'll all start to understand grace and mercy. The grace and mercy that God has poured into our lives. We'll be able to be conduits of that grace and mercy. And then finally, cultivate a habit of reflection with the help of the Spirit. I mean, James has been calling us to soul work. So a lot of this conflict has to, has to do with soul work. What's happening in our hearts? What's happening in our minds? How are we thinking about others? How are we thinking about God? It's not just out there. It's, it's deep within us. So that means humble reflection. Take us our time to humbly reflect on your own life and your tensions and your relationships. And that is so much more effective when we do it with the help of the Spirit. When we do it with the help of the Spirit. When we say, Spirit of God, would you catch me in moments where I'm about to slander someone? or tear them down, or speak badly of them, even if it's true. Holy Spirit, would you catch me before you convict my heart? And the Spirit answers those prayers. It doesn't condemn us. It convicts us. It gives us opportunities to just stop and, and to rethink and to change tack. Maybe we walk away. Maybe we find the boldness and the courage to build up in a moment. The Spirit's interruptions arrest and disarm us in the midst of conflict. I was walking in the forest the other day with someone, and uh, I saw this thing unfold before me. I had this sermon in mind, and what happened was these guys had just walked their dog. We were in the parking lots, and there's a few dogs running around. This lady gets into a car with her dog, and she starts reversing, and the other dogs are running around, and the owners of those dogs freak out. You know, they're standing behind the car, and they stop, 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 and she doesn't stop. She keeps reversing slowly, and then they walk up to the window, and then very sternly, reminds her to please stop, not so kindly. And she winds down the window and she's totally flabbergasted and she's like, I'm so sorry, I didn't hear you. You were in my blind spot, I didn't see you. And they're like, oh, you don't even love animals. You know I mean? She's got a dog, she's just taking him for a walk. And they're like about to kill her because you know, they think she's got no respect for animals, that she's reckless, that she can't even drive properly. She's just thinking, what an idiot. Like, who does this guy think I am shouting at me? I'm like, I'm just trying to chill in the forest. 
you know, from the outside, you could see that this was ludicrous. You know, this is like miscommunication. But there's like accusations and judgments and judgment calls and, 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 and. And then somehow it just de-escalated. Some of the guy just said, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just panicked. You know, I was just worried about my dog. I'm so sorry. I mean, it wasn't maybe that soft. Just a slow back off. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You were in my blind spot. I didn't see you. I couldn't hear you, you know, with my window up. And just then everything just calmed right down. <laughs> kind of everyone realized, okay, we've escalated things here unnecessarily. That's what the Spirit of God can do in our lives. can help us in a moment to just see more clearly, to maybe have a little bit of understanding and humility and just de-escalate things. That's what he desires for us and our relationships. So invite the ongoing work of the Spirit in your life. Can I pray for us? Why don't you guys make your way up? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Why don't you stand? Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that helps us in our conflicts. And Father God, we freshly invite your work in our lives. We pray you help us, God, to be those brothers and sisters, neighbors who build each other up for your glory, for our good for the well-being of our church communities. In Jesus' name, amen.